Thank you, Paul. I usually say Leslie, too, but yeah. I, I can't today, so. <laughs> At any rate. <laughs> yeah, he done good, well, it's good to see the rest of you as well. And let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Mark. Once again, we've been engaged in a study which uh, predominantly has been in the, the book of Mark. We started looking at Jesus' power over many things. Then we've kind of slowed down a little bit just looking at this crescendo of how God, uh, I'm sorry, how Jesus Christ has brought his disciples to a point of them understanding who he is. Uh, I think what I'd like to do is we'll read the passage we read last week and then continue on to the conclusion of chapter 8 of Mark, verse 38. We'll begin uh, in verse 27, Mark chapter 8. This is where we were in last week, uh, beginning now, verse 27. Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, and some say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say you that I am? And Peter answereth, and saith unto him, Thou art to Christ. He charged them that they should tell no man of him. And he began to teach them, and the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He spake that saying openly, and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake, and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world, and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me, and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed, when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. May God add a special blessing to the reading of His Word. Let us just pause for prayer prior to our study this afternoon. Father God, we are excited to be here. We're thankful that we have been given the Word of God, that you have seen it as being important enough to, read, to keep it forever, because it is truth, and it is literally the Word. Thank you, Father, that we have access to it, that so far in this nation we're still able to open it, to proclaim it, and to speak its truths. Father, there are places today that that is not the case. There are places that people are persecuted because they even have a Bible. In this country, Father, we would ask that there would be a love restored for the Word of God. We are in a famine for truth. Father, now we would ask for these moments, though, as we get aside with you, let the gospel speak to us by exclusively the Holy Spirit. We're thankful for those that have come out as well, and we would ask that Father, there are specific needs and concerns that you would deal with them, just as you know is the most appropriate and the most loving and the, most, the best way to handle it. We know we can trust you with that. And Father, we would ask now that we would quiet our hearts, open, ready to receive what you have for us as relationally, Father. We pray we'll never have been closer to you than these moments. Thank you now for what you'll do. We pray in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. <clears throat> 
As we spoke about in the last couple of weeks, that uh, Jesus has moved from literally crowds following him. They're, they were following with throngs of people, literally crowding him, if you will, even into the sea. He would have to get into a boat to get away from them. If you can imagine how intense that must have been. Um, and then it was like this is a turning point. You can see that they were following him, following him and they were wanting food. It was like the traveling McDonald's. And that's really the reason. They wanted miracles. They wanted him to continue to make their life easier. And, of course, no cost to that. We'll be talking about that a little bit later here, too. But, but as this, it was like Jesus finally said, we, I know why you're following me. You just want stuff. And a lot of it. <laughs> Sounds like us, doesn't it? <laughs> Give us the stuff. And then... When he gave that bread of life sermon, if you will, he said, I am the bread of life. It was like that finally the people said, this isn't going to work out for us. We just want physical bread, and this guy is off his rocker and talking about spiritual bread. And they began to leave, literally left, just gone. And he says to the disciples, he turns to them and he says, are you going to leave also? And they said, well, where would we go? I'm not sure what that meant, other than they'd been with him for two years, two full years traveling with this one now after seeing Jesus walk in the water. That was the one miracle. They've watched so many, literally, but the miracle that got their attention where they finally saw who Jesus was, that he was the son of the living God. And Peter stepped out of the boat and began walking in water, as long as his focus was right. Isn't it amazing for us? It just speaks so clearly to me as well. When our focus is on the Lord Jesus Christ, we can literally walk on water. We can do anything that we need to do. Now, don't try that, uh, walking on water physically, because it's much more important that we follow and focus on Jesus, because it's literally how it should be when we are locked on lock and step. Whatever it is, whatever God has you going through, there's no step that he can't handle for you to do it just right, with enough strength, with much power, to accomplish it perfectly when we're looking at him. And you know, Peter, he looked around, it said, and he, he could feel the wind. He, the, it was very boisterous as the word used, and he just lost it. Literally, <laughs> he starts sinking. But he had the, help me, Lord. That's a, that's a good thing to remember, too. <laughs> I remember, actually, I don't know why it just popped in my mind. Um, that's been a lot of years ago. My father and I were traveling to Billings when we were living in Livingston at the time. Um, I think it was actually to meet an attorney, and we were traveling when it was just two lane by Big Timber, which has been some years back. And uh, it was slushy, and I was driving, had a little sturdy citation. And uh, you know the story isn't going to end well. That's too bad, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At any rate, it was, it went, and the slush kept getting deeper, and I was slowing down, but it would just, it owned me. It really did. It just sucked me right off the road. We hit the road, and poof, right up on our top. But while we were sliding, my dad, he was sitting in this, and he said, God help us. Just, that's just who he was, right? He was, that, that was the relationship. And I'm thinking about, Peter's the same way. He just, Lord, help me. When you start, that is a great thing to remember at all times, no matter what. When you do lose your focus, when you do lose where you're at, Lord, help me. And he's right there. And Jesus reached out at me. He said, tough break, buddy. I, you know, you, you got to keep, you got to stay with me here. You got to, no, he didn't. He reached right out, grabbed him. They stepped in the boat and the storm was over. And as a result of that, literally, they saw Jesus as being the Christ, the Christos, the anointed one, the one that had been promised through the, whole test, the Old Testament. At that point now, 
Jesus now is speaking and teaching and moving his disciples for what's coming. He begins to tell them. In fact, we read that passage again. As soon as they got that right, who he was, he began to teach them. I want to read this verse again because this is, this is the initial point of where he began to tell his disciples what was going to happen. Verse 31 of chapter 8. And he began. That's interesting. I have that underlined. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and the scribes, and to be killed, and after three days rise again. And it says, he spake, saying openly. In other words, very plainly. This was, you didn't miss any details. It was boom. Uh, by the way, guys, now that you know who I am, literally there's a, there's a plan that I want to unfold for you, because they had the person miss the plan. I sometimes am pretty good about that, too. I know who God is. I know who Jesus is, but I miss the plan. My will gets in the way. Does that ever happen to any of you? I won't linger, right? It happens. And he begins to unfold the plan. Who is the most upset by this? Uh, Peter took the, he took the lead role. He's got the speaker, right? And away he goes. And he, he literally pulls him aside, as Paul read earlier, and rebuked Jesus. Now, that's saying something. Now, if you back into Matthew, we have that section about how in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says, you know what, Peter? Because you got that right. Those words... Thou art the Christos, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. He became a rock. His name means rock. And he went from the rock to being the stumbling block. His highest high to a lowest low. When he said, Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. His plan that he understood, the disciples, that everyone now is going to be safe in the arms of this kingdom of heaven of which Israel would rise above and all of the nations would bow down to them. You could just see this whole thing just gathering steam. The disciples are so, I mean, they are so up. And then Jesus starts talking about stuff like this. They didn't know the plan. And literally, are you ready? Our, Peter's plan, the disciples' plan literally was satanic. Now think of that for a moment. In God's world, in how Jesus came to this earth, literally, the cross comes before the glory. The cross comes before the crown. Now, Satan's tactics are always glory before suffering. Glory before anything else. Take it while you can get it. Now, that's a world system. That's the way the world operates. Take, 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 soon, 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 right? That's not the way Jesus came. In fact, there's a verse that just popped in my head. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. Looking at how this is even stated, Hebrews chapter 12. Go through the T's. You get to Titus, and you're right there in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. Let's look at verse 2 of Hebrews chapter 12. It says in, in that verse, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And that, what, great, what a great example for us to follow. Now watch. There's a semicolon that says, who... For the joy, stop, what do you think of joy now? How do you, how do you picture joy? Yeah, good stuff, right? I mean, this is good stuff. Now, watch, look carefully. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Oh, what the world? When's the last time that you've been on the cross, being crucified, and you call that joy? Jesus had a lot of suffering to do before the joy could be fulfilled in the sense of him regathering what Satan had taken away through that dirty, filthy thing called sin. But it was joy to him because he knew if he endured the cross that grace would be essentially the gift of those that would trust him. Isn't that great? That's fantastic. And to see that Jesus knew that beforehand. But back to Mark chapter 8, Peter rebukes Jesus. And we talked about that last week. 
But it sets us up for where we're going today. Uh, obviously, Jesus tells Peter that he's got the wrong plan. And then he goes into the section that we'd like to deal with today in verse 34. And watch this now. When he had called, this is Mark 8:34, when he had called the people unto him with his disciples. Okay? So in other words, there's there's another crowd of people, we're not told how large, but they were just kind of off. As he's he's instructing the disciples, it's like he takes this is an opportunity for now to really be able to share with the people, along with my disciples, that this is an invitation to follow me, and there is a cost. There is a cost. It's not just a free meal ticket, no pun intended, because they've been getting free meals, and a lot of them. And here they come, and now he speaks to them, and he says this. This is an invitation from Jesus Christ to those who want to follow him. It's requiring three things. There are three things we're going to talk about today in verse 34. When he had called the people unto him with his disciples, he said unto them, Whosoever, in other words, anyone that will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, the one word that would have stuck out to those Israel, those people living in Israel was that filthy word called cross. It's the first time that I didn't check. I didn't take my, uh, um, help me, concordance. concordance. Thank you. I did not take my concordance to see if this is the first time that cross showed up in the book of Mark. But if you take the corollary passage, which is in Luke chapter 9, that was the first time in Luke that the cross showed up. This is the first time cross shows up. Now, for us, a lot of gals, they have a cross. They're wearing a little, you know, a necklace or whatever that has a cross on it. And to us, there's nothing bad about any of that, correct? Correct. Correct. Right, thank you. I, I was, the, the ladies are, where are you going with this? I was going nowhere. Actually, I just, yeah, yeah I'm not wearing it today until you figure out what we're going to do, right? Okay. But not, not, by the way, that's the culture in which we've grown up, right? A cross is actually a good thing. You know why? Because of the joy that Jesus Christ endured the cross to literally bring us back to God. There's joy in that. But let me tell you about the word cross to those disciples or to those people on that day. In Jesus' lifetime or in that period of time, there would have probably been at least 30,000 Jews that would have been crucified by the Romans particularly and the rest of the nations surrounding them. Did you get 30,000 people? That would touch a lot of families. Crucifixion, as, as far as I could possibly understand, probably the cruelest, the most violent, the most excruciating pain death that I could even possibly think of. It's horrifying. And for Jesus, now, he's just rebuked. And by the way, hey, cheers for Peter, right? Because he wants, he, by the way, the Old Testament speaks of coming kingdom, the millennial reign, okay? It's just, but it's amazing how you pick the stuff you want to believe. You leave some stuff out. We talked about last week in Isaiah chapter 55. How come I'm, I think it's 55. Anyway, it talks about the suffering of this coming one, this, this redeemer. That's also in the Old Testament. But it's amazing how you want to push that away. Isn't it? It is. We want good stuff. Well, the disciples, they were all on the good stuff. They were all over it. And then Jesus says these weird things like, I'm going to die. I'm going to actually, you know, this is another thing that's interesting. Would you think that Jesus would have been betrayed and literally thrown to, to the Romans for death by anyone other than the religious leaders? Now, these are Jewish people. These are people that read the Old Testament. These guys that pride themselves in understanding the Scriptures. And literally this Jesus, the Messiah, the Christos, would be thrown to the wolves, if you will, by them. And Jesus says it. Oh, Jesus, you got it all wrong. You got time out. Let's get this right. But really, Jesus was all right. Disciples were all wrong. And here we are 
in this dilemma. And then Jesus says, you want to follow me? Did you, did you want to follow me? Here's like, like three things. You need to deny self. We'll be talking about these more, more, more completely. And then I, you're going to have to take up your cross. And then Paul talks about it, doing it daily. How would you like to take a cross daily? And you know, those 30,000 people that would have been crucified... A part of that whole thing, in fact, it was in Jesus' life as well, but they had beaten him so badly that someone else had to help assist carrying his cross to the point of crucifixion. Those 30,000 Jews that would have been crucified, they would have been required to carry their cross to the point of crucifixion. That's what would have been ringing in the minds of these disciples. And then thirdly, follow me. I'm not how many said, whoa. I don't think the meal thing's worth that. I think I'm going to step away. I think I'm going to move. I'm going to, I'm going to move this way. Jesus, you're all, you're all about you, buddy. We'll see you later. And they are <laughs> gone. Right? How many times has that happened today? Because I'll tell you what, it's almost, there's a lot of similarity. Now, we happen to live in a country that was founded on Christian principles. The reason it is a country is because our founding fathers took a step back and said, no, we, we want to worship our God our way freely. And there are other instances as well. But the bottom line was, and God granted a tremendous victory to this nation over the most powerful nation in the world, Great Britain. There's no question about that. Do you think God wasn't involved in forming this nation? Without a doubt. But what's happened to us? We've lost our focus. We've lost our vision. We've lost the sense of how big God really is and what he's done for us. That's what love is based on. What has he done for us? And so you have Jesus now. He's saying these things. And, and uh, even the disciples are like, cross? What the world does cross have to do with following Jesus? See, he'd never told, keep this in mind, he had never told his disciples yet. It's coming, yet, that he was going to be crucified. He'd never said that. This is almost like a warm-up, right? You, tell, you want to follow me? You, you want to come after me? Okay, you got to deny self. You've got to take your cross and bear it, and then you need to follow me. Okay, the follow part, I can do that, but the rest, what, what is that all about? This bit of new information. What does all of that mean? Well, what do the people said that they were listening to that? What does it mean to deny self? Now, sometimes there's a word, this is going to be a little bit, maybe it might seem a little bit even trite, but there's a sense of self-denial where you have self uh, co um, Tied together. What, what, what's that little, little? I can't. Okay, we'll move on. <laughs> it's like it connects self to denial. And there's this little dash. What? The, we're gonna go with that. I'm gonna go with hyphen. Okay. So you have self, you have a hyphen, you have self denial, and there, there's a part of that. To me, it's not enough. It's, and the reason I say that because once in a while, uh, self can be denied one or two things just to get by or something better. No, no. This is way bigger than that. This is denying self. Two separate words, if you will, and it's very distinct, very full, very robust. That does not sell. If you had a title of a book that was denying self, it would not make the New York Times, the New York bestsellers list. It would not. However, if looking out for number one, taking care of self, protecting yourself, building the esteem of yourself, those sell, right? Because the whole world system, listen carefully, is built on the promotion of self. That's what Adam and Eve fell into in the Garden of Eden. Satan sold them the self story. 
well, we are important, aren't we? I can't, I mean, we could be God? That, that's really where everyone sense built into them. It's amazing. We got, we got these five little grandkids running around, right? Well, no, the little one isn't running around yet, but there's, there's like these two sets of twins, right? Uh, Larissa's got two girls and, and Lorinda has two boys and they're literally just twins, two sets. It's busy and it's amazing how it's so built into them. And by the way, every grandkid, every person's grandkids are the best in the world, right? So we've, well, let's get through that. It's, okay. They just are. Okay. They just are. Right. So here we have though, these two sets of twins and they are, forgive me, they can seem to be little monsters, right? And it's amazing. You know why? Because it's into them. The very essence of the human fallen nature is into that young little child, which can be so nice at moments and such a diabolical little selfish being. And just poof, right? Mine, mine, mine. No, it's not. No. And, and, if, and if actually it's, it's so bad that if that other kid has that, even though they don't want it, they want it now. Correct? And there's actually grown-ups just like that. It's so pervasive. It's so incredibly overpowering in the whole human society that literally, and that's what we bought. That's what Adam and Eve got sold. And you know what they paid with it? Literally, are you ready? They paid with it with their soul. That makes sense today because Jesus is asking a question. What if you had the whole world? And no, no one's ever been gotten. I've gotten it. Solomon probably got as close as anyone, but he wasn't even close to the whole world. And you know what? The whole world is not at the level of a value of your soul. And that's what Eve sold that day. To have self in charge. And we've been smitten by that all of these thousands of years. And you think of that, and Jesus said, You want to follow me? You want to follow me? Then you'll have to deny self. You have to separate to me. In fact, that word cross, even the second part of that, the second thing, denying self and then to bear your cross. What is a cross? What was it known for? Well, it took life. It exterminated or separated life. It's, let's, go to, let's go to Romans chapter 8 for a moment. This is actually very descriptive of how Paul puts together in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8, verse 13. Let's go there for a moment. Romans chapter 8, verse 13. And you get into Romans chapter 8, man, my, my, I just fire up. It's so amazing. So uh, don't let me do that. Let's just pop into a verse and let's watch how it ties together with the cross, if you will. For, uh, chapter 8, verse 13. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify or put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. It's almost the same picture. It's almost like it's crucifying, and we find that in other passages in the Scripture, to crucify the flesh. There's a part of that as we're bearing that cross, as we're, as we're opening up our lives to be more about all that Jesus wants us to be. It's literally a separation from who we are. Our purposes and our goals and our will and all of those things need to go away. They just do. Because we don't know everything. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Uh, for we know that all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purposes. It doesn't say all things are good, but God has a way of just, I, I just love this. He's, he's at the, I was, you know, 30,000 foot. No, no, he's at heaven's loftiness, and he's able to just take, 
Hmm, let's see now. We're going to take that that doesn't look very good, but we're going to make it the best for Larry. We're going to make it the best for Alice. We're going to make it the best for everyone here because you know what? He is not in, disenabled by anything, by anybody at any time. Isn't that fantastic? Amen. Nobody owns God. He's sovereign and complete. There's no opposite. If I say, what's the opposite of God? There is none. There is none. Satan is not the opposite. He's created by God. Think of that. He has no equal. And when God says, I'm going to make good out of that, there may be moments that aren't, don't feel good. And you, those trials, right? Don't you love trials? You sign up for them probably, don't you? You go, I, God, I want more trials. <laughs> and yet, remember that word joy? We said that, that for the joy before Jesus, he endured the cross. Count it all joy, brethren, when you fall into various trials. It's the same idea. And yet, I don't find trials to be all that joyful. Do you? <laughs> when, they're, when they're over. Because you know what? And, and Jeff actually takes us to a good point. You know when that trial's over? You know what we see? We saw God was in it, taking us through it. Isn't it true? Sometimes we wonder about when we're in it. <laughs> I pray to get out of the storm. The only way I can grow is for God to take me through the storm. Because when I went through the storm with him, guess what? My faith on the other side is much stronger than it was to begin with. Those disciples, they were in a boat in a stormy, terrible, terrible, just a, waves are crashing and it's, it's crazy. You know what? When they saw Jesus do what he could do, I think the next time they had a sea that was noisy and was over the top, even though the commercial fishermen, don't, don't, don't miss that. These guys are experienced, and yet they were scared to death. Where do you think their faith went? Through the roof. You, you take your life and all those trials that God has led you through, your faith should be increasing every single day. Every single day. And he knows just how much to stretch you. Aren't you glad it's not you figuring how much to stretch you or someone else? Jesus knows just how far to pull you to make you ready for the next thing that's coming your way. And the one I keep bringing this up, I make no apologies because literally God has had the perfect plan for Abram. And Abram was kind of a little riddle rascal, wasn't he? Lied when he needed to. A little bit false here, a little bit here. Uh, Sarah, by the way, um, we're kind of in Egypt right now, and you're really beautiful. So why don't you just say that you are my sister? It'll be better for, uh, for me. Right? He was dishonest. And if, there, if, it got, if it got tight, if it was in a tight corner, let's just lie a little bit. But you know a half lie is a whole. A half truth is a whole lie. But just think of how God stretched him and stretched him and stretched him. And the faith just kept increasing. And it says in Hebrews that... He, he believed what God said, and God counted it for righteousness. Think of that, okay? And then Genesis 22, if you just start there about Abraham, you think this guy is like the super saint of the world because he is following God to some level. God says, I want you to sacrifice your son, and you think God is this big, mean bully, right? Somebody reads that story for the first time. Well, that bloodthirsty whatever, right? To kill a young child, which was probably in his teens, Isaac, and there goes Abram, gets this early, or gets this, this, this call this, this, from God, this message. He said, by the way, um, Abram, listen carefully. I want you to take your son, you know, your only son, the one that I gave you, that son, the, the one that, you know, we're going to go on with. I want you to go to Mount Moriah, and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice to me. Really? How is this going to work out? See, that's where our minds go, Right? But you know what he did? It says early the next morning. Early the next morning, Abram takes off with some servants and Isaac. 
And they go, three days journey. How do you think those three days went? Oh, my goodness, what are we doing, right? And Isaac's all over it. He must have been worshiping before. He said, Dad, oh, by the way, we're walking up the mountain. And he left the servant's bag. He said, Dad, um, let's see. Let's, let's, let's take inventory. This is important, Dad. We, we, we got the fire. And, and I, I know I got the wood because I'm carrying it. And uh, um, there's, there's, there's a really significant part here that we're, that's missing. And it's the sacrifice. Because, Dad, we've always had a sacrifice. And then Abram's response is perfect. It's absolutely so astoundingly perfect. It must have come from God. Just filled his mind. Just right. He says, son, God's going to provide. Isn't that fantastic? I remember sitting around a table. It was actually a, a, a bro, uh, uh, what am I trying to say? Um, I'm really struggling. I, I can see this. It's in a house. It's in a kitchen. And, and there is, uh, you know, you have the kitchen counter. And then just lower than that, you can sit at them. It's a, it's a counter. Uh, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of stuff. I'm going to go with counter, okay? And it's where you, you can just, for ladies, they can be in the kitchen, just plunk it right down, and there, there's, there's breakfast, right? So dad and I are sitting there, and it is an unbelievable messy situation. We had leased another ranch. Um, we had a partner, we thought. He backed out after, after my dad had said yes to the lady that owned it. So here we are. He, he, we are sweating, right? We don't have the money because it, we need another partner, right? You ever been there? There's way more a year left than the money, <laughs> right? And I remember sitting there, and, and Dad is actually, he's, he's, I don't know if panic's the right word, but he, what are we going to do? I remember asking, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? I said, well, let's just, let's just analyze where we're at. We talked about it. We prayed about it. Everything was together. Then you made the phone call. To, her name was Mrs. Boatwright, Carol Boatwright. And it went well. I mean, we accepted, and she accepted, and here we are. So we have to stay. did we not do the right thing so far? And I said this. I said, God will provide. I don't know how, <laughs> but he'll provide. And you know, to this day, it was the driest year I've ever been in my life with two inches of total precipitation in 1988. That was the year. Never even greened up. This is just the humorous side of it. We bought, I think Lisa did, we bought this box of green-tinted sunglasses. So the key was, is you take one out of the box, you put it on in the house, and then you go outside. I'm not, I mean, this sounds really weird, but it helps you. It was so bad. The grasshopper, it was just horrid. I could go on, but I'm not going to. Let's stop. Let me get through the point. We had a 1,000 pair on there for one month, and we had 87 sections, 56,000 acres. We were down to 35 pair for the summer. How do you think it works on cash flow? The other cattle, we took to Hysham to go to a feedlot so we could at least get them bread. You know what? They got BVD, which you that raised, ca raised cattle, you would know that that's not a good thing. I'll tell you, it's not a good thing. <laughs> and it's like, where is God in all of this, right? Where is he at? You know, he was right there. He was right there. I today could not tell you where the money came from can't, that came from to pay that lease. I do not know, but it was paid. That's faith growing. That's a I can turn around today and I can say, that was a moment, that was a time that my faith grew. That's what's happening to the disciples right now. Jesus is telling them stories that they don't want to believe. They want only the good stuff. 
Boy, does that sound like me? And yet, you know what? As Jesus took them through, first of all, just narrative, talked about he was going to be, well, he's going to suffer. He must suffer. And then he starts talking about a cross to bear if you want to follow me. And then he soon, after this, we'll probably get to it in later weeks, that he talks about the fact that he will be crucified. What? Where is that? Think of that to that person, though. Those three requests, these are, th- by the way, they're still valid. This is Jesus' invitation. We do well to, to really study this. You've, you've, you've had other invitations to come to Jesus. This is Jesus inviting those to come to him. Are we really ready to set self aside completely so that God's will, God's desires, God's purposes, Jesus is all we're interested in? That's not easy. You know, we got to constantly slay that, that dragon called self. Every day I deal with that rascal. Mine's worse than yourself. <laughs> it's amazing how we all have our self problems, don't we? But self is at the basis of it. Now, you, self likes to rise up. It likes to be proud. You know what pride never will allow is to have God as being number one. Satan would never allow in his pride to have God as number one. Anyone that I see that is very prideful, very arrogant, you know what? God is never in a position, ever in a place that is proper, properly aligned with who he is. Pride always wants to take, and if, if you even have what would be called, carefully now, a proud Christian, that doesn't even sound right, but there are Christians that, are, that have a sense of pridefulness about them. You know what? That proud Christian wants Christ with his purposes, with his, and his being that person, okay? His things, his possessions, his everything. He, Jesus can coexist. No, 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 no. You can't follow Jesus that way. He wants full control. Eve turned her heart, her life, everything around. She denied God to put self in the throne room. We have to do just the opposite. We must crucify self. In fact, I, parts, points one and two actually commingle. The sooner we can crucify self, the sooner we really can follow Jesus Christ, the third point. Because until you take care of self, following after the master, following after Jesus is not realistic. There's too much self. There's too much stuff, too many things. And isn't that what the world's really good at today? Look at all of this onslaught of computers and communications. I mean, you could go on, the tweets and the, right, all of that. And what does it do? It just continually distracts and tears away. Truth is no longer evidence. In fact, I'm here to say that for the average person that does not know Jesus Christ as his, his or her Savior, I think truth is literally almost unfindable. It's the only place we have a source of truth that we can depend on every single moment of every single day is the Bible. And you know there's a lot of people now in America, believe it or not, that don't even know what a Bible is. Isn't that something? We've fallen into a famine of truth. And now, and again, I keep saying this, but it's so true, about 50 years ago or whatever it was, and maybe that time flies faster than I think. I've noticed the, the older I get, the faster it flies. So maybe it's 60 years, whatever it is. But there was a time in which, you know what? Paul can have his truth. He can believe whatever he wants to believe, and that's his truth. And I can have my truth. Alice can have her truth. Wade can have his truth because he lives a long ways away. His truth isn't going to matter to us, Right? Right, Marianne? I mean, he can have his truth, you can have your... And nobody, nobody's going to be... There's no problem as long as we don't hurt one another, right? 
That was the most sinister thing known that's ever happened. Because if you believe that, then there really is no such thing as absolute truth. And that's where we're at today. That's where the world's at today. We are so hurtling toward that period, which I'm not, I'm not here setting dates. We are hurtling toward the tribulation. Because that's what will be that will, is what will be absent. We've looked at it a couple weeks. So I'm not going to take you there. Second Thessalonians chapter two, that literally after not believing the truth, God lets them, feeds them delusion. I'm telling you what today, friends. There's more delusion that is being believed than truth. Now, I did not say tomorrow is the tribulation, but I did say if we continue down this path, we are going to be there before you know it, because this is what makes it happen. And then we're going to look for this great white savior that literally will be known as the Antichrist. And they'll flaw, they'll throng to him because he's going to have answers for them. That's coming. That, that, that is going to happen. Revelation is not nonsense. It's not fairy tale. That is coming. God help us. God help us. Denying self. <laughs> Hey, buddy, how you doing? I was a little. <laughs> he didn't think I could see him? <laughs> I see you. Anybody who's on tape right now, just don't worry about it. We got through it. We <laughs> At any rate, denying self is still the first and foremost, most important thing. First and foremost. You, you will not come to Jesus if you cannot deny self. Even initially. Now, again, don't make this too hard because we believe we come to Jesus Christ by faith alone, in Christ alone, through grace alone. Okay? That's what gives you the power. In fact, do you remember in Romans chapter 8, verse 13? Through the power of the Spirit is the way you're going to crucify the flesh. It's not you. Don't, don't take this and say this is all about you. When you accept, and by the way, those disciples had said, this is the Christos. This is literally the Messiah. This is the one that God sent. Believing that, they're set up how to have their life pattern follow. Okay? But there's a whole lot of things that take place in that self. And it must be set aside for that first time when that sinner comes to Jesus Christ, being called, being wooed by the power of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. That literally they must, they must deny self. Because self does not want you to get saved. That's that resistance. If you've ever had that point of resistance, of maybe, maybe you didn't get saved at the first time when the gospel was presented. By the way, that's not uncommon. But the earlier you get saved, the better it is because the longer you go pushing it off, oh, tomorrow or the next week or the next day, not now, I, I'll do it later. That literally is self-denying Jesus. That has to happen. You have to deny self to find Jesus Christ. has to happen. There's no way around it. There's a man I'd like you to pray for. You don't know him. I don't know him. But it was on Wednesday evening. No, Thursday evening of this last week. I was coming home, and it was about dark. And here's, the, here's this guy, and he's got, uh, um, I'm just going to say a knapsack that's beside the road, and he's just standing there. And I was on the phone on my headset, and I drove past, and I, no, I, I got to back up. So I just quickly said goodbye to this party I was with. And I backed up, and I said, is there anything I can help you with? He said, well, I'm trying to find my mother, and I thought she was on this road. And uh, 
I didn't recognize the name. I said, well, do you know, you know where she lives? So he named some other names. I said, but we weren't going anywhere. I said, just get in. Let's, let's, I mean, you're going to be, it's dark. You can't just walk around. I mean, let's, you know, let's get this figured out. So he thought it was on Dump Road. So we go travel, and I'm on, and the phone call comes in. He said, you know what, I'm bothering you. And we, no, no. I said, no, this is fine. I'll, this, this. So I said, here's a, here's a phone. He'd lost his phone. I, I'm going to go on for a while now. He lost his phone. His name is Jeremy. That's who I want you to pray for. His name is Jeremy. And uh, he come to visit, came to visit his mother, who's very, very sick, very sick. He had a twin sister that committed suicide in 2014. His mother's never been the same since then. And he said, I had my pickup stolen, a 2016 um, Chevrolet pickup. They stole it from, from, uh, from where I live. And they actually ended up above Delmo Lake, stripped it down. There's nothing left of it. It's insured, but I, and then I've got another little pickup and the transmission went out of it. So I don't have anything to drive right now. Oh, by the way, I'm going through a divorce as well. <laughs> right? And finally, so I said, take your phone and, and call your, call, you know, call, let, let's, we can go there. Okay. So he does and uh, ends up, it's, you know, in another place, another road. And I drive in and, and uh, he was kept on, and he's not, he was not really, he wasn't, I don't want to say that he wasn't looking for anything. He wasn't, uh, didn't seem particularly upset. But the more he talked, the more dire the situation looked, right? So I said, Jeremy, I'm going to be praying for you and your mother. And he says, oh, man, would I love that. And so we talked a little bit more. And I find out, he says, you know, you look familiar, and now I know why. You did a funeral in Twin Bridges for a young girl, and I was there. I was there. I don't know how that worked. I don't know why I was there at that time, but I'm going to say this. God is working on that, and when we pray for Jeremy and his family, something is going to happen because God's right there. What would be, how would that work? God's in it. God's in it somewhere. Where was I going to lead that back to where I'm going today? Oh, the thing that Jeremy's going to have to do, though, is there's going to come a point for him to be able to find Jesus. Listen carefully. He'll have to deny self. When that Holy Spirit will woo him, call him through truth, Jeremy will have to make a decision. And that's why sometimes all of this stuff, now I'm not saying in his case, but it, it fits the point, all of that stuff has to leave. Some of the only moments that someone can get saved in where there's nowhere else left to go. And all of a sudden, it's easier to deny what you don't have. That's why Jesus said it was one of the hardest things for a rich man to go through the eye of a needle. Or it was, it was harder for it. You know where I was going to go, but I got it way wrong. It was easier for a... Can't... <laughs> How many say it's really hard for a rich person to get saved? <laughs> How'd I do? I finally got it right, sort of. But, but the point of the matter is, you know what? They have so many distractions, so many things, so many self-attachments. And that's just the way we want to say it, self-attachments. How many attachments do you have yourself attached to? Boy, isn't it something? It's everywhere. It's everywhere. And you can't follow Jesus until you deny self. Now, following Jesus, that's the one we haven't talked about very much at all. What does that look like? What does following Jesus look like? Sounds cool, doesn't it? I'm just following Jesus. Really? What does that look like? How do you follow Jesus? 
What is that? I mean, can anybody, everybody can say I'm following Jesus, right? I'm a Christian. I'm following Jesus. In fact, that's what a disciple is. A disciple is someone that follows Jesus. Yeah, that's the key word. Took us right there. See, an obedience is activity, isn't it? How do you obey by not being active? Can't do it. Following is a word, but obedience is an action. That's a lifestyle. In fact, this is the other thing we must say very clearly right now. We're t I've talked about the invitation that Jesus lays out to follow him, but you know what this becomes? It becomes literally a lifestyle. Think of a tree for a moment. As a tree grows above the ground and it branches out and it grows leaves, that would be like knowledge. Your life in Christ. You're growing knowledge. But you know what? To make that tree steady and sturdy and everything it needs to be for those leaves to flourish, guess what has to happen? Those roots need to go deep. They need to go deep. And the deeper they go, the more sturdy, the more steady, the more stable that person is. I've seen some of those trees that, you know, it's a windstorm and it just cracks them off. And, you know, you look and you say, well, wait a minute. Those roots were very shallow. It couldn't stand that wind. And you know what we go deep in when we deny self? This is really, really important. When we deny self and when we're following after Jesus Christ, as we gain knowledge through study of the word, those roots go deep and deep into what? Humility. That's what gives you the greatest stability of ever. That's the paradox, literally. If you are out to gain your life, if you try not to, in other words, you're holding on to self, you're holding on to everything, you will lose your life. But if you give your life, and that's humility, if you give your life to God, literally, then you will have it. You will, you will save it. That paradox is really hard sometimes to understand. But the, the more that you cling to all of your stuff and your possessions and self, you've sold yourself out. Someone that is in it for the now, literally, is selling eternity and buying time. I would much rather buy eternity than time. Every single day decisions to make. Every person has those decisions to make. Talk about the value of your soul, of anyone's soul for that matter. Going back to that statement, Jesus said, let's read it. Let's read it from the Bible in Mark chapter 2. Not Mark chapter 8, I'm sorry. Find my glasses, which I laid over here. Mark chapter 8. And Jesus, after telling them to deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake in the Gospels, the same shall save it. Now watch verse 36. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? There's something to think about. Do you know how expensive your soul really is? There's nothing in this entire universe, literally, that could buy or pay for the value of your soul. There's nothing. You could trade, barter, do whatever you want to do. There's nothing valuable, as valuable as your soul. Nothing. Have you ever thought about it that way? Sometimes we look at this gaining the whole world. And let's say you owned it all. Let's say you owned all of Earth and the moon and go ahead, throw a couple of other planets in there. You own it all. It's all yours. You, you, you've worked hard for it. It's all yours. There's no gas shortage. There's no high dog. We own it all. Gas the same to me. I just put it, well, I don't even have a car. I just have a jet. I just fly all over because it's all mine. Are you there yet? I'm really trying to suck you into this vortex of, of nonsense, right? Solomon had a lot of stuff. He had a lot of gold. He had a lot of, I mean, it's amazing how much stuff he had. But I want you to know that you've owned everything. You own it all. Mark this carefully. 
that ain't enough. There's not enough. And yet how many people strive and strain and push and just totally give it everything they have to own just a little more stuff? And I bet it's the same in Saipan, right? It's always the same. It's universal. And you know what? Your soul is so valuable. The only one that could have paid for it is this one that's setting and asking the question. His name is Jesus Christ. And he's the same today. He did it, accomplished it. It's over. It's fixed. It's done. And when you deny self, take your cross, and you follow him, your soul, your soul is going to eternity in heaven. And there is no other way for that to happen. And that's a message we need to get out there. That's Jesus' invitation. It's not some invitation. This is literally Jesus inviting that. And I love this. This is what makes it special to me. It wasn't just a matter of, of this is a pattern for your life. By the way, it is. It is. But here's what's really important. Remember, he's got the disciples and he looks around. And he said, there's a crowd of people. And he, said, he motions to them and he speaks to them and said, this, you want to follow me? Do you want to come after me? This is what you need to do. That's Jesus' words. It's not cost-free. There's people today that will lose their life today because they're following Jesus Christ. There's people today that will lose their families because they're following Jesus Christ. You can find in other parts of the Gospels, literally, those that have trusted Christ will lose their family. Their fathers, their mothers, their brothers, their sisters will hate them. That's not new information. Jesus' own family hated them until, I wonder what it was like for uh, James, Jesus' half-brother, to witness after he had seen Jesus Christ crucified and buried, and it says that in, uh, in Acts that he appeared to James in a resurrected body. You know, I've had my doubts about you, Jesus. I do believe you are the real deal. Right? I mean, that's my words, but you understand? See, and that's what Jesus' resurrection does for us. That's why you're here today. I guarantee you that's why you're here today. If Jesus would still be in the ground, you would, you're out, you're done, it's over, it doesn't matter. Because if he can't beat death, you can't. That's the difference. There's nothing in the world that can beat death. Nothing. Nothing, 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 nothing. If you hold everything, only Jesus Christ can beat death. And lo and behold, he did it for us. One drop of his blood. And we're saved. When we deny self, Am I get, are we getting through on this? <laughs> Carry your cross and follow him with obedience. That's a magnificent message, isn't it? That Jesus Christ would do that for us. What did, what, what did he owe us? That would be zero. <laughs> How much does he love us? I can't express it for you. As he said, the sins are as far as the east is from the west. His love is way more than that. And if you can wrap your head around how far the east is from the west, and you're getting closer to understanding a little bit of the love, it's infinite. It's over the top. It's so outrageously tremendous that it took God himself to die for you. That's a message that never gets old. That's a message that the gospel is built on, and literally there are people, not only here, but across this world, no matter how dire, how much, the circumstances look so tremendous, like Jeremy, for instance. This one I want you to pray for this week. 
when he finds Jesus Christ, all of that stuff is just stuff. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter, does it? It does not matter. It looks like he's lost the whole world, right? His, his world looks really complicated to me. And I could share more, but I'm not going to. You get the idea. That man's life right now is so upside down that it looks like his world is gone. But you know what? With Jesus, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That's who I want to follow. That's who I want to get to know. That's who I want to trust my soul with. That's where I want to be is right beside him. Because then I am safe in the arms of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus' invitation. Amazing. He cut right to the chase. Those that were following only for pleasure, only for possessions, only for things they could get from this Messiah. He laid it out there. Denying self. That is so difficult. So hard. The religious leaders couldn't even imagine it. In fact, they took this one that endured the cross. He died for them as well. They could not have any part of it. They were not interested at any level because their hearts were hardened. Father, I pray for this nation, the United States of America, a nation that you founded, a nation that you answered prayers to those founding fathers. Father, this nation's in trouble. The world's in trouble. It has traded self for God. Father God, I would ask that you would open hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit, that there would be a revival that would sweep the world, that the Word of God would be prominent. Father, may we do what we are to do, and that is to witness to those that don't know Jesus. Father, I pray for Jeremy. You know exactly his situation. Pray for his mother as well. Her health is not good. Father, Jeremy is struggling. I just ask that you would open his heart. The Holy Spirit would speak to him. And Father, as I shared my phone number with him, that I would be available for him anytime. And Father, if that would help, if that would be beneficial, then may that happen. But bring men and women into his life that help him see Jesus Christ. Father, for us, as we are living a pattern of life, as we gain knowledge, and our tree, if you will, is, is, is flourishing and the branches are growing, Father, we also know that the strength from that comes from being the roots that are deeply, deeply embedded in humility. Father, you are responsible for both. We raise our hands of adoration and praise, thanking you for what you're doing, because you are worthy. You are worthy to be praised. Thank you for us to be able to trust a God that gave everything for us to have gone from lost to saved. The pearl of great price. That man sold everything to have it. That's literally a picture of salvation. There's nothing more valuable than our soul. Father God, we thank you for everything that you provide us with. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.